on today's episode of Life and Times. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Life and Times with Quentin. So happy to have you guys back. So for this episode, my guest has met over 4,000 people, over 2,000 in person, and the last half of them over Zoom calls due to COVID. And he has met them, spoken to them on a one-on-one basis for one hour. And his goal is to meet over 10,000 people. His name is Rob Lawless, a personal friend of mine. I met him back in December of last year. And it was just such a fun experience. And I immediately knew from the start that I had to have him on. His whole goal is not to interview people, but to really have that deeper human connection that we really are lacking during this time due to COVID. So without further ado, let's get to the conversation. All right. Um, thank you so much, Rob, for coming on my show. Um, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you again. Yes, nice to see you. Um, I immediately knew uh, right after our meeting, or when I first, let me rewind, when I first found you, I found you on TikTok. Um, I thought your story was really cool, really interesting, um, especially during times like these. I hate to always circle back to the negative aspect, but to focus on something more positive. Um, I found your story really interesting because you're talking about human connection. And that's something that we were already lacking, but we definitely, unfortunately, we can't have now. Um, So with that being said, I know you've met, you know, thousands and thousands of people from all across the world and stuff. Um, in our meeting, like I said, at our meeting, I immediately knew I wanted to have you on the show because um, you just, you have, I feel like some people just have an ability to really just like connect with people on a one-on-one basis. And um, when we get older, and maybe it's just me, I don't know if anyone can relate to this. Um, I feel like sometimes um, life kind of like dulls us a little bit dulls our shine we kind of like lose our ability to like kind of like not be vulnerable to somebody and stuff so what is like your definition um through all the people that you've met um connecting with them what is your definition of like human connection or connecting i think connecting is sharing an experience together with someone and i think that's sometimes So I'm on this mission to meet 10,000 people one-on-one for one hour each. And I think sometimes people see it and they're like, oh, well, you can't meet because, you know, it's called Rob's 10K friends. And they're like, you can't have 10,000 friends. That's impossible. And I think people think that it's not worth connecting with someone unless you're going to maintain a long-term relationship with them. And I just don't think that that's the case. I think someone can have a lasting impression on you, even if you meet once for an hour and never speak again because they can change the way that you think about things or they can tell you about a new piece of information that you take with you into the future or you may run into them like 10 years down the road and if just because you haven't seen each other for 10 years doesn't mean that you can't reconnect down the road so for me it's sharing an experience with someone and that's what I tried to do when I show up to meet people and I think that's what allows us to have such great conversations with each other because 
we're not trying to get anywhere specific with the conversation. We're just there to enjoy each other's company and to say like, hey, I'm Rob, this is who I am. And you're like, I'm Quentin, this is who I am. And so it, it's that showing up for each other and just creating a positive experience with each other. Yeah, and like I said, I definitely, I love your uh, definition of connection. Cause like I said, you know, during this time we, we definitely lack a lot of that. And I think, um, showing up for people uh, during this time is so important because, you know, no matter what's going on in the world, I think the biggest thing we need um, is not, I mean, social media is great, but what we really need is that connection that knowing that somebody is going to be there and that you don't even necessarily, you know, you don't have to like continually keep up a uh, rapport with somebody, just knowing that, you know, five years down the road, you could see them and you know, you're not going to forget them, but they made a lasting impact in your life, kind of like a teacher or a, you know, a old classmate, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen that um, also too, I've seen that, you know, you've gone on the Kelly Clarkson show, you've um, done the Today Show, um, and you've been out this for a while now, um, a couple of years, am I correct? I started this in November of 2015, so it's been just over five years like guess five and a half years at this point almost and I took it full-time in July of 2016 so I feel like I have almost two anniversaries one is the starting it and then one is the taking it full-time so yeah this end of this June will be five years full-time meeting people and did you ever I mean you know starting it from the very beginning um did you ever think it would get this far like I said you know going on all these shows and stuff and you know I know the point of it was connection but did you ever think it would become this I guess <laughs> I actually always did think it would get to this point and um and beyond like when I started it and I committed to mm -hmm. it I understood that it would be really hard to achieve unless I did it full time. And in order to do it full time, it was going to have to be big enough that I could somehow support myself through the project, whether it's through partnerships or speaking about it or documenting it on YouTube and AdSense or things like that. But yeah, I always just thought it was a really interesting concept and it was really fun for me to go down. So when things started to play out and press started to pop up and things like that it kind of just fell in line with what I what I thought would happen and it's almost I mean I've been surprised in many ways like at when things happen I was covered by Ryan Seacrest on his radio show back in 2018 and I actually was just back on his show about a month ago and those mm. things are crazy to see that pop up and when the Kelly Clarkson thing came up that was crazy and so I kind of expected these things, but it doesn't take away from how momentous they feel. I think that's the right word. Like how big they yeah. feel in yeah. time and they still makes, yeah, like makes you nervous, makes you excited, uh, but they definitely help push the project forward. And yeah, I, I hope by the end of it that it, it's, it's that I've met people from all over the world and that people from all different cities and all different countries know about it and feel like they were part of it. So yeah, it's still, still a long way to go still in terms of where I think it can get to. Yeah. Cause I was, you, um, you, uh, answered that really nicely. Cause I, my next question was going to be, what was like your biggest, um, the biggest thing that you've gotten out of it thus far? Um, you know, cause so many people have been covering it and, you know, 
it's been growing on TikTok. I've been uh, watching the videos and stuff. Um, when you get to the 10,000th person, I guess, what do you, like, what do you, like, intend on doing, like, past that? Once I get to the, t so in the meantime, I plan to start speaking, like, public speaking about the, mm -hmm. the project, both as a way to support myself and to inspire other people or encourage them to be more intentional about connection. And the TEDx talk that I have coming up on Saturday is like a really good jumping off point for that. But yeah, yeah I plan to start that now and then just get really good at communicating a message to people. So after I finish the project, I want to just be that person that is sharing that knowledge as often as possible with universities, corporations, different organizations. But I want to teach a freshman seminar at a college or like a freshman course uh, mm. at a university college where students are pairing off one-on-one -on -one and learning from each other's backgrounds as opposed to a textbook or a PowerPoint because I think there's a ton of untapped value in connections that could be made at universities. Like a lot of schools just expect their students to become friends through a club or an activity, but not every person, and I've seen this through my project, is going to be proactive about creating connections. Some people are really socially anxious, or some people feel like it's hard for them to fit in. So if you can create a safe space for students and say, hey, the purpose of this class is for you to tell this person your story and to get to know theirs, mm -hmm. then you're, you're giving students the ability to connect and the, the ability to increase their perspective and expand their empathy. And that is like that I want to be my legacy and my impact. And I think if I can start it at one university and prove that it's valuable, then I can teach someone else how to do it at another university. And eventually multiple, several universities have this course that kids go through that in my opinion, makes them better people before they graduate. Yeah, and I, I wanna say you answered that uh, really nicely and particularly speaking about safe spaces because um, growing up, um, you know, in, at least in my time, that wasn't necessarily like a huge thing or a safe space is something that some people may, you know, take as a joke. It's not, you know, something that is, is important, but to have a safe space um, for kids and for everyone um, to speak, because sometimes, you know, due to, like I said, uh, certain situations, um, whether it be how you grew up um, or just not feeling comfortable enough to speak to people, sometimes people kind of need that extra push. Um, and what I like uh, most about your project is um, you're able to, what I love is that you're curating this ability to give someone a safe space and you don't know them, they don't know you, but you kind of come in and you just give them the opportunity to just say how they feel and to be vulnerable and to open up and, you know, it's for an hour and that's that and if it if it goes great it's great if it doesn't it doesn't but um you give people a great window um to just be themselves and i like that yeah thank you yeah it's i uh, i enjoy doing it and i think it gets easier to do to do that because i'm so comfortable with people because i've spent so much time with so many different types of people yeah i think that's really nice but I wanna uh, I wanna talk about your TED talk, but I'm gonna I guess go backwards a little bit because you know you've spoken like I said you've spoken to all these different people, and 
one question that I actually thought about back then when you were interviewing me back in December was, um, was this always something that you've wanted to do? Or like, you know, growing up where you, um, I can assume you weren't like an introvert, but like, were you an introvert or an extrovert? Or is this something you kind of grown into or? I've always been a people person, like, uh, and always have been an extrovert. So I'm the youngest in my family and the youngest of my cousins, aside from my one cousin, mm -hmm. Katie, who's the same age as me. Um, and I, I think I've always just been like vying for people's attention when I was younger. And I mellowed out a lot as I got older and stepped away from the entertainer and more into the observer role. So sometimes I can come off as reserved, but definitely extroverted in that like a big reason I chose to go to Penn State University where I went to school was because it was 40,000 students. And I knew that there would always be new faces to interact with. And that for me was a big draw, whereas I know that can be intimidating for some people. But yeah, I've always been um, extroverted. And when I was at school, I majored in finance, but I minored in accounting and entrepreneurship. So I, I've also had this entrepreneurial drive throughout my life, like this desire to do my own thing. And I think- The go-getter. Yeah, and growing up in this time where I saw like Facebook or Snapchat or all these companies being created by younger people. And then they go off and they become the CEOs. To me, I was like, why can't I be in control of my life the same way that they're in control of their life? It didn't make sense for me to work until the age of 65 and then retire when I saw multiple people around me creating their own pets. So I always thought, okay, you can do your own thing. It's just going to take a ton of upfront effort and creativity. And that has proven true. I mean, I'm like five years into my project and it still feels like I'm just barely getting off the ground towards stability. But in my mind, I'm like, once it clicks, it clicks and then you're, you're good to go. And then all that work was worth it. So yeah, I've always been extroverted, always had this desire for entrepreneurship. And the nice thing about my project is it really marries the two of them really well. Yeah, and I think that's uh, so cool that you said that, you know, kind of meshing two things together. And I think that's an important lesson for um, everyone, not just younger people, but everyone really finding something that you're passionate about, um, finding not only something that you're passionate about, but you can be able to do something that you feel like you're, you've done it for a while, but you still have that hunger, that uh, drive, that passion as you did when you first started, because a lot of people, I feel like this time has been able to reveal a lot of different things to people, um, certain situations that may have not been comfortable, or they may have not been good at, or they may not felt the best in, they can get out of it, and they can change paths. I feel like this is kind of as we're in the, I guess, the second year, year one, I don't know, mm -hmm. all the, all the days run together, yeah. but um, we, we have uh, limitless opportunities, I guess that's the best way I can put it, limitless opportunities to do whatever we want, um, and speaking of your time, um, you know, like I said, you met lots of people, and I know originally when you did this, you were meeting people actually in person, right? Yeah, the first 3,259 people were all in person. And I started the project in Philadelphia. And then mm -hmm. I did it back and forth between Philly and LA. 
for a couple of years and I would drive across the country mm -hmm. every time to get there. So I've hit like 20 different cities in person within the US. And then I was living in Hoboken, New Jersey. So just outside of New York City when the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. And I was there until June of 2020. And then I went back to my parents in Philadelphia. And yeah, since March of 2020, everything has been virtual. So it's really opened up who I've been able to chat with, but in person, mm -hmm. Yeah, 3,259 people. And that was always the goal. Like I never intended to do video calls, but then that became the only way. But I believe it's a blessing in disguise. It's just really, like I said, it's opened up who I've been able to talk to and I'm, I'm happy. I think that was a positive for the project. Yeah, and I like the fact that you um, try to see the good in things because I think that's really important. Um, this pandemic is, like I said, it's definitely, open, I feel like for everyone has opened up all of our minds to seeing good instead of negative. Um, and speaking of which, so you've been able to meet more people online. How has that changed like your perspective um, since you, you know, would meet people and obviously meeting people in, in person versus virtual is much different. How has that like changed, you know, the whole project for you? It has, well, I think on a personal basis, it's just made me think with a more global perspective. It's so easy to get overwhelmed with the news of the US when we live in the US. So you might not be thinking about like the protests in Peru or the protests in Chile or the elections in Belarus and all of these different things that are equally like crazy going on in other places that we may ne never even hear about unless you go and actively seek international news. So I just naturally have become more aware of those things and not only like things like that but like mate for example is like a drink in Argentina and Uruguay that's really popular and that I didn't hear about until I started my project and now that's something that I want to try it's just like a very social experience for people down there um or different musicians and what is what is it and what what was the drink again yeah it's mate it's like um okay I want to say it's like a tea and the people will probably be like, he butchered the explanation of it, but it's, it's like you have like the tea on the top and you pour like hot water over it. And then you have like a metal straw that goes into it, but it's almost like people there, they like sit together and they pass the individual drink around. So like, there's only one like cup of tea, if you will, with one straw and like you just take turns sipping it around the the group of people so now it's crazy to think about that with covid right but yeah i was like sounds like a super <laughs> spreader right <cup>. but <laughs> before covid it was just like a big part of their culture and i don't know how people handle it now but that is something i never would have really paid attention to had i not started talking to people from other countries and I think it's changed the project in a way that I've always wanted to go abroad physically and meet people. And I think I could have done that, but now I can drop into over 75 different countries and have someone there that I know who could show me around or introduce me to people. And I think that is just so important because otherwise it would just be me like floundering to find someone to meet with. But now I already have all these connections because I've been able to connect with people from my bedroom essentially. And that's the, I guess that's the power of that's Zoom. Um, Zoom is, yeah, Zoom is so, um, 
I guess it's been like everyone's savior. It's connecting you know you to other people, and you know we all. It's like the it's the new mm-hmm. thing now. Um, now I want to go back to your um, TED talk. Uh, how did that come about? Um, you doing your yeah, TED talk? Yeah, it's so it's a TEDx talk run through Emory University, and I think one of the girls mm-hmm. in their club who is part of the team that organizes it follows mm-hmm. my project. And then she emailed me back in like November, probably. And just mm-hmm. said, hey, I'm with TEDx Emory. We would love to consider you being a speaker. Can we do a speaker interview? Just learn more about your project. So I hopped on a Zoom chat with her and told her what I was up to. And she liked it. And they chose to have me be one of their speakers. And yeah, it's, it's coming out uh, on Saturday. I've already recorded it because of COVID. It had to be virtual. So mm-hmm. I recorded it. It's the video is together and everything, but the conference is this Saturday. So that will be shown on Saturday and then hopefully uploaded to the TEDx YouTube down the road. I don't know how, how frequently they, they upload them, but that, that's just like a similar to the kind of Ryan Seacrest and Kelly Clarkson things. It's just a really good piece of credibility for the project to be able to share the lessons that I've learned on a stage like that albeit virtual yeah that um that sounds really fun um because i know ted talks are like this huge you know really important deal so um speaking on a stage like that um how was that were you nervous because you know you've done like i said you've done the one-on-one speaking to someone else how does that feel speaking on such a prestigious stage and like you said, giving your uh, project such credibility, what was that I like? I was definitely nervous. It was a lot of the, it took a lot of my mental capacity over the last couple of months. Like once January hit, I knew that, okay, I need to write this and then I need to internalize it and I need to be able to deliver it effectively. And I think there's a lot of imposter syndrome that goes along with that of watching a bunch of other TED Talks or TEDx Talks and feeling like all of them are doing a really good job of communicating their message and then going back to write my own and being mm-hmm. like, uh, this isn't really good. Like it's not going to connect, but I just kind of worked through those things. And I got it to a point where I felt like I was sharing in the talk, what I share with people every day when I talk to them, when they ask me about what I've learned from my project and whatnot. And I am excited to see how it turns out. I recorded it in actually a recording studio owned by someone that I had previously met through my project. It was nice to kind of have that tie into it. So it was this guy, Sky, who was videotaping it and uh, doing the audio (laughs) for me. And I did it in one take. So that was good. And I'm happy that that part is behind me. Now it's like all of the recording and the preparation is done. And now you just get to put it out and see what type of impact it has. and, And you hope that it reaches a lot of people. Yeah, and I'm glad you spoke about imposter syndrome because um, that's something that I I do with as a podcaster, um, putting projects out and putting things out and promoting stuff and not uh, feeling like you're enough, not feeling like you're doing a good job. Um, Sometimes you just kind of have to just record it, do it, you know, you mess up and take it as a learning lesson because at the end of the day, it's really all about um, getting the feedback from other people 
and seeing where you can kind of improve as opposed to just kind of like being in your head and like constantly like belittling yourself. It's in that constant struggle. So, oh yeah, it's all experience. Like it's all, all doing it, iterating, doing it better, iterating again. And I think that's just how we all get better at what we want to do. Definitely very much so. Um, I'm doing this playlist uh, for the show. So I wanted to know, um, side side note, any if you have any book recommendations or movies. And also, do you have any like songs that you're listening to now during, the, I guess, the quarantine or lockdown? Cool. That book recommendations, I really liked Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. It's the story of how he started Nike. Mm-hmm. And it's like his memoir. And it's really cool because th- speaking of imposter syndrome, we think about Nike now. And of course, we see it as this established brand, this awesome brand that every athlete wears. But when you read his story, you realize how close it came to failing multiple times and like how long it took him to get it to a place where it is today. And that for me was really encouraging. In terms of movies, there's a movie that I like called Good Time. I don't really know how to talk about the plot of it because I watched it years ago, but I just remember really liking it. It's like two brothers Mm -hmm. that try to rob a bank and then the chaos that ensues as a result of that. But it felt like a very raw movie. And music. Was it like an indie film? I want to say it's like A24 is the people who, I don't know if they're like a production Oh, okay. Company. Yeah, A24 is the production company that did um, uh, the like Sam Levinson's work with Zendaya and stuff. I've heard of A24. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then it's these two brothers that directed it. I forget their names, but it was a good movie. And music, my favorite artist is John Bellion. So I think any any John Bellion song, Overwhelming, Guillotine, All Time Low, Internet, those are a few of my favorites. And then AJR just came out with a, an album called OK Orchestra, and that has been my jam over the past couple of weeks. Okay, well, I, yeah, I have a friend who also is like a huge like AJR fan. So yeah, I haven't heard of John, but I definitely know about AJR. <laughs> Um, so before we go, I just want to do a couple random questions. I have like yeah. a little random question generator here. Let me spin the wheel. We're going to pretend okay. like there's a spin the wheel sound here. All right. Um, what is the funniest thing you've seen a kid do? The funniest thing? Oh, man, that's a good question. The funniest thing I've seen a kid do. Wow. I, oh, there's, I, I, I have to go to the internet for this one, but it's, I saw it on Instagram, but mm-hmm. it's this, this cute little Asian kid and he's yeah. dancing for like a school play or something like that, but he's huh. crying at the same time. So like, it seems like he had to be there for the dance and he just yeah. like, hated the fact that he was there and I feel like all of us in our life at some point can relate to that moment so that was something that I definitely took and sent around to my friends as like a meme for them to see yeah um that is definitely funny so what is one song you would pay money to never hear again mm. one song that I would pay money 
funny to never hear again. It would probably be any type of mumble rap song. I am really into hip hop, but I really like lyrical artists like Joyner Lucas or Logic or Eminem or J. Cole. So any type of mumble rap, I'm trying to think of what, I don't know, maybe like a 6 9 song, maybe some of his, there are songs of his that- 6 by 9 yeah, there are songs of his that I can listen to and I'm like, okay, I can get into this. But then there's somewhere I'm just like, yeah. how, is it, how is this music? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I don't judge people with me. If you like Six by Nine, great, but he's not, you know, my favorite either. So, right. Yeah. Um, the, the last question is um, for your 10,000th person, um, let's say you've reached, you know, 9,000, you know, and 99 for your 10,000th person. If you could choose one person, dead or alive right now, who would it be and why? If, if I could choose someone dead or alive, maybe JFK. He's someone who I've always been interested in, or Frank Sinatra. I have biographies on both of them that I have hmm. read, and I am just so interested in how we romanticize them. Like there are these figures from the past that typically whenever people talk about JFK or they talk about Frank Sinatra, they like put them up on this pedestal. And I would just love to see what they were like in person that allowed them to have this effect on people. Yeah, um, I definitely, I like your choice with JFK because um, he was one of my favorite presidents when I was in the fourth grade. I love, I used to study about him a lot and all the things he did with like racial injustice and stuff like that. Um, he's like definitely one of my favorites. So, all right. Um, well, that's it. Thank you so much for um, joining my show and um, yeah, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to see right. you again. Yeah. All right, I want to thank my special guest, Rob Lawless from Rob's 10K Friends. Uh, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. And stay tuned. Next week, I will be having a special episode titled Writer's Room, The Hive, with the author Jeremiah talking about his book that was released in March. And we'll just be chatting it up, writer to writer. So um, have a great week. And until next time.